Welcome to the Sabbath School Rescue Podcast with your hosts, Buster Swoops and Michael Campbell. This week, we dive into the lesson for Sabbath, May 9, asking the question, why is interpretation needed? Let's learn together about how our approach to the Bible impacts our understanding of Scripture. The Sabbath School Rescue Podcast is hosted by Michael Campbell and Buster Swoops at Southwestern Adventist University. We love learning and sharing God's Word. Together, we have 18 years of pastoral experience, and now we have the privilege to dig deeper into this study. So why is interpretation needed? Our memory text for this week, uh, Sabbath, May 9, says, But without faith it is impossible to please Him, for he who comes to God must believe that He is... I like some versions that say that he is real and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, New King James Version. Well, the reality is, is if we're really honest with ourselves and how we live our lives every day is that we all interpret and sometimes don't like to admit it, but maybe even misinterpret. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I... Uh, when I first started reading this, I was asking myself, why did they use this as the memory text? But it makes perfect sense because we're trying to get at the heart of God and not what we are trying to understand, but what does God want us to understand, right? And the, and so this is a perfect memory text for, and I, I think uh, I think the authors of, of this lesson. You know, right before we sat down, I was reflecting this past week and just sharing with you a little bit about how my wife, who's just finishing up her seminars for her uh, doctoral program for her, this semester, and she needed a book quite desperately for her paper, and it was titled The Heirs of the Reformation. And it's a great book, and for somehow, I heard her say, Errors of the Reformation, and that's how I interpreted it. And I spent several hours this week looking through all of our books <laughs> on all those different shelves, and then she came upstairs and said, hey, it's sitting on the couch. It's right there next to you. And I thought, oh, how did I miss that? I spent all this wasted time uh, because of I had misinterpreted what my wife had said to me. <laughs> you know, with as many books as you have, I completely believe you. Matter of fact, we were on a Zoom call earlier this week, and one of our students had a library behind him, and another student sent me a text saying, how do you get into Campbell's office? <laughs> <laughs> oh so I believe you looked through all those books, and I'm glad you guys actually found it. Finally did. Yes. So uh, this actually leads us to a word that uh, gets, leaves cause to pause, yeah. which is the word presuppositions. What mm. What is that? What does that even mean? Yeah, you know... Again, that's a great question because I think a presupposition is something that's so obvious to us that we take it for granted. It's it's just assumed. Mm. Uh, it's just so basic. It's like uh, the glasses that we wear for those that wear glasses or contacts maybe that we leave them in. Sometimes, you know, I, I've there's been a few times I've even looked for my glasses and not realized, oh, they're actually on my face because it's just so <laughs> much a part of you. You don't even realize they're there anymore. Yeah. So ideas that you have mm -hmm. that come into place without you even even trying to put them in place. They're, they're just there. Yeah. Right. And if we think about it, there's lots of those different kinds of things. And it can be as simple as how we live our life, how we view things. The just the um, it's, it's that so obvious rose-colored 
glass that's around us, we don't see the rose tint anymore because we've just been in it so long. Ah, okay. So what does Luke 24, verses 36 through 45, tell us about presuppositions? Well, yes, you know, this is one of those texts that we've come uh, back to again and again through this whole quarterly, um, pretty much every week, I think. You know, Luke 24, Jesus on the road to Emmaus, and here you have the disciples and there they are on a walk and Jesus has to kind of do a little bit of a paradigm shift to get them to see the same scriptures that they had been already reading and interpreting to see them a little bit differently in the light of uh, his own experience and his death on Calvary. And so uh, there they are. In fact, the beginning of the passage starts out, um, they're on the road to Emmaus. And um, what's interesting is they didn't recognize Jesus. I think that's the first of these presuppositions. You can have this tunnel vision. Yeah. You're so focused on something, you don't see the obvious right in front of you. You know, uh, I think of my life and I think back of some divine appointments I've had, uh, some moments where they weren't circumstantial, where God placed myself and another person in a certain situation for something divine to happen. But it takes introspection and actually looking past presuppositions to say this was a God moment. This was a divine appointment. Wow. Wow. You know, I I think that's really the thing is the Holy Spirit at some point is what prompts us, or in this case, Jesus' direct intervention with these disciples on the road uh, to help wake us up to our own true condition, to wake us up out of, because otherwise our natural condition is we normally just kind of go and default the easiest whatever and and the holy spirit's trying to prick us prick our minds to say hey wake up wake up there's something really important i want you to pay attention to which is why i understand there's layers to learning yeah and uh it asks the question what prevented the disciples who are familiar with scripture from understanding the true meaning and they understood an aspect of it but it Mm -hmm. took jesus on that road to actually go deeper and peel back some layers for them to say ah we finally get it yeah you know, and, and by the way, that I'm just building on that a little bit is, you know, all of the inspired scriptures, there's so much depth and richness to it. Um, what I love is I keep studying the Bible every time I'm learning something new. There's, there's something deeper, but at the center of it all needs to be Christ. And Amen. whatever hermeneutic we have should lead us, just like Jesus on that road, lead us closer to, to who he is so we understand him better. Yeah. And for us not to see him in the image that we want to see him, but for us to, for him to reveal to us who he is, right? And so I, I love that you share with that, that with us, Michael. Uh, which leads us into Monday's lesson, which is translation and interpretation. Ooh. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> now, you and I were looking through some of the texts that they gave us earlier, and uh, Luke 24, 27 is one of them, 1 Corinthians 14, 26. Um, we're not going to take the time to just read all those out for you, but very important aspect of all these is that as the Bible writers were writing down, they also added something. They said, which is translated, uh, I think in Acts 9.36, talking about uh, 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 Dorcas and, or Tabitha, whose name is translated as also as Dorcas, right? And so it, it shows that the Bible writers actually were trying to uh, make sure that the readers understood that these words were translated. Yeah. And translated has a number of different meanings, but the idea that you take something in one language and communicate it in another. And one of the phrases that I've noticed Ellen White that she says or talks about, she talks about the language of Canaan. Mm. I don't know what that language is, but um, I know people make jokes about it. It has to be English because 
uh, people can't understand here in America and yet they're uh, learning enough uh, uh, of other languages. I don't know, you know, but <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what the language of Canaan is, except that whatever that divine language is, it's a language of love and God communicates it to us as human beings. And there's no one correct language or one correct. Uh, and, and so we see the Bible, it's written, it's, it, you know, in Hebrew and Greek and Aramaic. So you have multi languages already from the beginning. Uh, and and there's no Bible translation that is perfect either, because again, those are people trying to take the Bible and translate both the words and the meaning, and to make it relevant for today. And so that process of translation, as we read the Holy Scriptures, for me, that's usually in English, but sometimes that's why we, here at Southwestern we teach the biblical languages. Yes, we do. So we can you know uh, go back and and look that up and look more carefully, but. Uh, that is it's imperfect and so i i like to use a lot of different bible translations just because i like to try to get out of those blinders so that i see hopefully the word of god speaking to me more clearly or as clearly as possible and that's really what um first corinthians fourteen twenty six is talking about and talks about how god's people are gathered together to worship talks about singing teaching etc at the end of it, it says that all this must be done to strengthen all of you Mm. And so whatever we do and however we translate, there's a goal in mind through this process of strengthening both ourselves individually, spiritually, as well as collectively as a body of believers. Amen. You know, that's that's what scripture's for. That's what that's what religion is supposed to be for. It's not for us to outdo each other, or prove each other wrong. Mm. It's for us to grow stronger together. Yeah. Um, and you, you answered something uh, that I was going to bring up, Michael, which mm -hmm. is. Uh, talking about the various translations, mm -hmm. uh, how do we know, not not which translation is better, how do we know that our interpretation of Scripture is on the right path? Well, yeah, that's a great, you know, to think about that. Uh, and we, we need to think about that question very carefully because, uh, first of all, you know, I've, I've met a number of different people that they become so reliant on maybe a particular translation that if your trans if if your faith is dependent on a Bible translation, we're in trouble. I've yeah. had a few people say, you know, oh, that's why we should only follow the King James because that's the only translation to follow. You know that that we can really defend our beliefs. And I say, well, that's 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 nonsense. I'm sorry, <laughs> uh, because if if we're dependent on a Bible translation, no, we we take the best of the Word of God in both the original and can be able to. Uh, reasonably be able to explain it through a systematic study of the scriptures and we can see so I like to use a lot of Bible translations yes. today yes. almost every episode I'm using a different Bible translation today it happens to be the New Living Translation there we go uh, I happen to like that one uh, but you know realizing the strengths and weaknesses of different translations and and using them uh, constructively to be able to see and so uh, read widely. Use different Bible translations. If you read the Bible through um, and you haven't done it in a while, maybe try a new translation uh, and challenge you to, to do that. Right now is the COVID-19. A lot of people are at home. There's some, yeah, It's distressing in many ways, but there's also some positive aspects. And one for me personally is having more time Amen. alone with Jesus in the Word. Yes. And, you know, this is a good time to bring up the hermeneutical uh, circle, mm -hmm. if you will. And yeah. You know, it starts off with a text. You, you start with a text, but then you go and you look at the greater context. You look at the paragraph. You look at the entire book. Mm -hmm. You look at the author's entire writings, right? Yeah. Um, 
Uh, this happens a lot with Pauline letters. Uh, and then you can look at the entire Testament that you're looking at, whether it's New Testament or Old Testament, the entire Bible, geographical background, historical, cultural, they all play a part in us understanding better the Word of God, which is why we need all aspects of, of religion that we have. We have archaeology. We have those who are systematic theologians. We have those who are historians as a result of us all coming together to have a better understanding of the Word of God. Yeah. You know, oftentimes where we go wrong is where we become so dead set maybe in one single verse and maybe one single translation of a verse that we don't begin to see the wider view or, or purview of Scripture. And the same thing, I, you know, let's bring it home a little bit. For we as Adventists, Ellen White, we tend to have the same problems, not yeah. following that hermeneutical circle or spiral as it's variously called, uh, but looking at that. And so when we do that, both with the Bible and with Ellen White's writings, uh, to the extent that we are willing to be faithful in doing that, uh, that we can, we will be blessed, and it will lead to a correct interpretation of inspired writings. Amen. And you know, thanks for stepping on my toes this morning because I needed it. <laughs> <laughs> so let's let's go uh, forward to the Bible and culture, in Acts chapter seventeen, verses sixteen through thirty-two. Uh, when I first I was talking about the group in Berea, but this is actually a little bit further. This is where uh, Paul is actually going, and he's speaking to uh, uh, the Greeks, the Greek, uh, the Grecians, and he's talking to the men of Athens. He talks to them about this unknown God, mm. and he 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 turns yeah. it and he tells them, "Well, I know this God, and this, you know, he it's one of the best sermons, right, uh, that you hear because he yeah. he convinces a lot of people." And he uses the Greek culture and shows them about the true God through their culture. Yeah. You know, if you don't take culture into account, we're going to, again, run into a lot of problems. If we start trying to insist that we start living as if we were in Bible times, we don't live in Bible times from thousands of years ago. We live today. But by recognizing the culture and the principles then from that we can discern and say, okay, those are the principles as it was applied to that culture back then. good example is Paul talks about how women should have their heads covered. Well, do we insist that every woman that comes to church has to have their head covered? Well, I hope not. I mean, it, I think it's pretty <laughs> clear in the culture of that time, a respectful woman, uh, that's how they would have dressed in a way, especially in a public kind of uh, meeting. It and it, it, it conveyed a message of of not just the the status of that person, but also of their morals and decorum and all of those kinds of things as well. And so, uh, we're going to obviously women today are going to dress very differently than two thousand years ago. Yes. But that same principle of showing modesty in, in different kinds of ways. Um, still applies. Yes, and and that's a, that's why it's important to understand the difference between principles and practices. Mm-hmm. Uh, the principles are still uh, upheld there, which is yeah. women and men need to be respectable in service. They need to be respectable in in their culture, and that principle has not changed. It's just that the practice has now changed. Yeah, you know another good example with culture is how we worship um, on Sabbath. You know how we go to church. Different cultures view things differently. I remember being in the Philippines, my first Sabbath that was there, and uh, it was super, super hot. And so I had my shirt on, and I had a suit jacket planning to take that off, but I didn't put, um, or no, I had put a tie on, but I had a a short sleeve shirt in order to accommodate. And as I was about to leave campus to go preach at another church, I had another professor come up and say, you know, Michael, Michael, stop. And 
And he said, take that tie off. You're going to be really hot, but go back home and put on a long sleeve shirt. <laughs> and I, I thought I had it completely backwards with my cultural expectations. It's hot. This is how you should dress. Uh, the tie, no, take the tie off, but the long sleeve. The long sleeve, what was what was important in their culture for showing respect. Yeah. And so that you know just happened to be an interesting experience I happened to experience. But in different cultures of the world, we're going to how we worship, how we show respect. All of those kinds of things are important, but it's going to look very different depending on your cultural context. And, you know, I'm glad you brought that up because one thing we cannot do is deify, once again, our own culture. Yeah. You were there. They have a certain way of dressing and you adhere to that because, yeah, it's, it's not going to mess with you one way or the other, except for it might offend them. And so, therefore... I'm going to do this and go along with your culture unless it actually offends the culture of God, right? And yeah. then that's when I'll oppose you. Yeah. And by the way, this is the great crux of missions, right? Um, in the history yes, of missions is how do we reach other cultures? And missions and missionaries have been at their worst when they say, oh, my culture is superior to yours, and therefore you must become like my culture. Um, when we do that, we actually discredit the gospel of God mm. because we're making the gospel about our culture rather than the other way around. The gospel has to transform both our culture and the culture of those that we are sharing the message to. But we must never elevate culture above the message of Scripture. Ah, you know what? what speaking of that, I was just looking at uh, a little f- further ahead in Wednesday's lesson mm-hmm. and talking about giving this gospel to people. How is it that we're going to help them understand about our sinful and fallen nature, especially as the authors have put it through here, John chapter 9, 39 through 41, and John chapter 12, 42 and 43? Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, you know, again, great, great passages of scripture to remind us that at our very core, at our inner selves, that we are sinful human beings. And so once again, our cultures are not infallible they're not perfect they need to be transformed by the grace of god yeah yeah they have to be i mean we have to be mm-hmm. uh and one thing uh and i think we keep bringing this up again mm-hmm. it has to happen with us first yes yeah, and true. then we can actually mirror to people what it looks like uh, but we have the journey with them and recognizing that none of us are perfect but we're in this journey together exactly Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just saying that kind of dovetails. I don't know if you want to move on, but uh, to Thursday's lesson about why interpretation is so important. Moving right on to Nehemiah. Yeah, yeah, let's go to Nehemiah, please. Nehemiah chapter 8 is talking about this renewal of God's people, and a big part of it comes with the discovery of copies of the scriptures, which then Nehemiah has read before all the people. So the first part of that passage is all talking about how he gets up and reads it but then what i love is verse eight and i think that's the key verse for our lesson this week it says they read from the book of the law of god and clearly explain the meaning of what was being read helping the people understand each passage mm. and buster you know this raises the question i mean some people are like well it's so obvious i mean you just read it you just read it Well, just reading it isn't enough because we all interpret it. We may not want to admit that we interpret it, but we do. And there is a sacred responsibility as a church, as a body of believers, to help those 
to understand, not just to take the scriptures and read them, but, but how we read them and helping people to do that. This is a biblical idea going right back here to Nehemiah. And you know what? It's so important because those, just the simple nuances can actually change everything. Mm-hmm. I can tell you what to believe, but if you don't know why we believe it, it makes no sense. Why? Because yeah. if you understand why, then you can take the same principles and apply, well, why do I believe this? And why am I doing this? And why am I doing that? It's under it's under important to understand why and how, right? Yeah. You know, I you know, we've both been pastors bus, buster and uh, in terms of, you know, working with a number of church members, helping them to study and understand. Yes. And I have been so impressed so many times with people that just really want to have a, a you know, they, they've experienced Jesus for the first time, and they're beginning to read the scriptures. But at that time, it's a critical stage yes. to be able to teach them at that moment. And so I, I used to always like to bring those that were interested in baptism and new members, have a special class for them, just to try to bring them under my wings to try to say, hey, you know, it, it, it's good. This is how we study the scriptures. But uh, whenever those people are there, I always noticed that there were other people that were trying to pull them away. Yeah. And so recognizing that there is a certain maturing a process that's there, um, it, it can be easy for some people to begin to, instead of scriptures teaching us and convicting our hearts to the Holy Spirit, that we begin to tell the scriptures what we want the scriptures to say. Or maliciously, someone says, oh, yeah, um, you know, and I, I've seen this too take a little verse here and a little verse there and come up with some very strange ideas. So that that leads us into the next portion of a Thursday's lesson, which is Second mm-hmm. Peter 3, 15 and 16. It says, uh, don't forget that the Lord is patient because he wants people to be saved. This is also what our dear friend Paul said when he wrote uh, wrote you with wisdom that God had given him. Paul talks about these things, the, uh, the same things in all of his letters, but part of what he says is hard to understand. Some ignorant, unsteady people even destroy themselves by twisting what he said. They do the same thing with other scriptures as well. And this is from the contemporary English version. And you see there, so important, some people will take scripture and they'll take what you said and they'll twist it. Uh, and we have to be very careful of this, watching out for those wolves. It's true. You know, here again, um, can't help it because that's our context here is we're both teaching at Southwestern. But, you know, we have the biblical theology class. We have different classes where we cover this topic of hermeneutics because we want our pastors and pastors in training to be really anchored in this. And and by the way, you know, Ellen White, this is not a concept that you and I are making up. This is a biblical concept, but she also strongly affirms it. So if you read on Friday's lesson, but I'm just going to read a sentence or two right there from this last quote from Friday's lesson that just makes it really clear that Ellen White, she saw scripture in the same way of of affirming um, our need to recognize how we translate and interpret and how we approach scripture is important. She says this, it's from Messages to Young People, page 260. Do not read the word, that's talking about the Bible, in the light of former opinions, but with a mind free from prejudice, search it carefully and prayerfully. If you, as you read, conviction comes and you see that your cherished opinions are not in harmony with the word, do not try to make the word fit these opinions. Make your opinions fit the word. Amen. And so I, I think she's just bringing it home again. You know, let's be careful how we approach inspired writings and recognizing those color blinders are there. I mean, this is a great thing to strive for. A mind free from prejudice. Uh, I'm not sure that I'm there yet, Buster. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, and and this is this is one of the biggest takeaways I have, and it comes there from Nehemiah 
also from Second Peter, which is make sure we're surrounding ourselves with people that have the same desire mm-hmm. of wanting to understand who God is through Scripture. Notice I didn't wow. say surround yourself with people that believe or think the exact same way that you do. No, it's important to, to get outside of that box uh, so that you can actually get down to what is God revealing about God. Yeah. In fact, what I often admire and appreciate the most are those who do disagree with me you yes. know, and have a different perspective. And maybe, just maybe, they might be right. But I evaluate it based on a careful study of the Word. And I go back to Scripture as my final authority, but recognizing how I interpret may not, I may not see everything perfect, um, and only God does. And so until we're in heaven, and I can sit at the feet of Jesus himself and say, Jesus, help me understand this. I'm going to have to take always a position of humility, saying, Lord, through your Holy Spirit, give me an open heart, give me an open mind, help Amen. me to learn what you have to teach me in your word. Amen. You know, I can't think of a better way to end. So I guess this is Swoops and Soup signing out. See you next week. As we put a wrap on this week's lesson, this is Campbell Swoops signing off. By the way, we want to give a shout out to our sponsors, the Southwestern Union of Seventh-day Adventists and Southwestern Adventist University, which has for over 125 years provided a Christ-centered education just 20 minutes south of Fort Worth, Texas. We love teaching with personal colleagues, offer quality academics, and provide numerous ways to get involved both on campus and across the globe. To learn more, visit swahoo.edu or check us out on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Also, be sure to join us again next week as we continue to explore God's Word. You can make sure not to miss an episode by joining us at sabbathschoolrescue.org.